Hey everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. If you haven't already, please be sure to check out our website, countrymusicmademe.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes and you can also sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content straight to your inbox. Just head over to countrymusicmademe.com and hit that subscribe button. Now on to today's episode. We are excited to be joined by Jordan Fletcher. Now, only a couple of days before our conversation, he actually had his grand old Opry debut. So of course, we had to talk about that. And we also talked about his journey in Nashville, which began in 2016 when he moved to chase a career in country music. He has just released his debut EP, True Stories, and he is excited for what comes next. So please enjoy our conversation with Jordan Fletcher. Have you come down yet? It's Monday no. now, Friday night, you had your Opry debut. So are you still flying high? No, I'm not. I, I, no, I, I, no, sorry. Yes, I am still flying high. No, I was not sleeping. Sorry, I'm not even thinking right. <laughs> I was just literally thinking about what I did immediately after that. I, I, I So... We did the Opry. I got to hang out with everyone. I got a call, and this is a flex. I'm going to flex, okay? <laughs> okay, do it. You know who called me? You know who, who called me? Vince Gill. Really? Not lying to you. I met him the week prior. I got to write a song with him. I I was walking through. You know, they do the, the whole thing. I'm overwhelmed, right? So it's yeah. like, hey, like any other show, hey, don't screw up. You're, you're thinking that the whole time. Don't screw up. And then you go in and then they give you a thousand reasons why you really can't screw up <laughs> all the people that have been on that stage. Right. So I'm walking through and I see Vince's thing and I just gotten his number and I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm going to definitely do this. So I take a picture of his name on like, you know, the Opry, the, the members of the Opry. I sent it to him. He called me later that night. He goes, Hey man, what you doing? <laughs> I was like, what do I say? What I is said, life, I'm even right? the Opry. He goes, man, that's great. Congrats. And we talked for a minute. And then I went and got tacos at my favorite taco joint at like 10 at night. And then I went home and went to bed. <laughs> oh, man. What a night. So take me through this. So as far as I know, from what I, I've seen, I haven't been to the Opry, haven't performed there, obviously. But from what I've seen, you drive up. I think you have a parking spot with your name on it. You go through the corridor outside with the on the Opry awning. You go uh -huh. in, you have your dressing room, you perform. Yeah. So take me through the emotions of that journey of that night. For me, um, the whole time I was really trying to stay focused, like just really focused on making sure that I didn't get too nervous. Cause for me, when I get really, really nervous, I get disoriented. And then I just like dead focus on the performance and I just miss everything. Right. So I, I did the best I could at just staying focused on like the fact that I was getting this whole thing. And then, and like the whole motto for like my, cause I got to bring a couple members of my band that have been with me for a long time. Oh, okay. uh, and it meant a lot. And so it was like the whole motto for like even prepping for this and rehearsals and stuff like that is like, this is the Opry. We're going to just literally milk everything we can out of it. Like, cause you can, you can kind of like, they're, they're really accommodating. You can, you know, ask for whatever, cause they have a whole band, obviously the Opry band. And so you yeah. can ask for whatever players. Are. And I said, dude, we're doing it whole Opry style. Give us the kitchen sink, give us everybody, give us the whole thing. So it was just like, 
we went in there just like whatever the Opry is, we want the whole thing. And so it was like from every moment, it was this new thing. And, and here's this tour and here's what happened here and, and all the history of it. And here are the players. And then you got, and they're down to like, it's precision. It's like, you know, 752 is when sound check is. And then 758 is you have 35 seconds. And it's like, literally they're perfect on everything. So wow. you're literally just like, they're walking you through it, making it easy. All the players are, you know, the best players you ever played with. So the whole time it was just like a surreal experience from like a consumer's point of view. And then also a player, you know what I yeah. mean? You've got the best of the best in the whole, like on the whole, on the, like the whole planet that are listening to your songs, liking your songs and then being like, Hey man, you want this? So are we diamonding on the tag? And, and just like nerding out with these guys. And it was just like, from every angle, it was just like an incredible experience. So yeah, I, uh, I can't, I can't speak enough on it. Cause it was like, and my son was there and then my family came up from Florida. So it was, uh, as much as like, I'm really glad the performance went well, it was kind of almost an afterthought because the rest of it was so like family oriented. Right. It felt like you were just hanging out with your family and then they go, Oh wait, yeah, you're on. <laughs> go sing a couple of <laughs> songs. You know what I mean? It was, it was, uh, it was incredible, man. And and then they, they stood up and, and clapped afterwards, which that's never happened to me before. So <laughs> that is so know. awesome. And now you talk about family and I want to talk about your dad a bit in length in a couple of minutes, but as far as the Opry goes, you lost your dad before your teenage years, I believe it was around 11. And that has been something that has been a big part of your life ever since. Now, when it comes to this Opry performance, what did his memory and his spirit mean throughout that performance for you? Well, the fact that we got, we got, we got to play two songs and, and Firebird is one of the songs that's oh, going to okay. be on this EP that's coming out. Yeah. And that song is about him. Yeah. And the fact that I was able to start with that song and the way that it's, you know, composed the whole, the whole way that it's played, it feels so intimate. It really felt like he was able to be there. You know what I mean? Because that's what that song's about. You know, it's like when somebody passes, you don't necessarily, not everybody has to go to the gravestone to, to feel connected to them. You know, there's a right. lot of memories from do with different places or different things. In my case, it's a old hot rod. And it was like the fact that I got to sing that song on the Grand Ole Opry stage. My dad loved country music. It was like, you know, even though he uh, he's been gone a while, it felt it felt more sweet than it did anything else, you know. And so that's 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 what that was. Like his, it, it felt like his spirit was there, getting to play it for sure. That was that was cool. That's awesome. And tell me a bit about him, what you remember of him, and during your first eleven years of life, how he influenced your musical journey and how he helped create music within you well my dad um he worked a lot when i was real young and then he like as we got a little older and everything he he was able he kind of freed up some more time and everything so i just remember driving around in his truck whether it was taking me to baseball games or going fishing or whatever um and we listened to skinner because that's you know, the Vans answer from Jacksonville. That's where, where I grew up. And right. Listen to Credence and listen to, you know, um, uh, listen to all these old school, different artists and stuff like that. He loved the stones and we would just like, I, I, he would just kind of play it. And, and it was always fun. He was not like a, 
a player. He had a guitar and he would kind of pick a few things, but it was just always fun. I, and, and like even looking back now, of the few memories I have with him, I just remember him kind of like singing along to these different these different classic songs that, you know, at the time it was just music my dad listened to. I thought was lame. Right. <laughs> right. And yeah. then now I realize it's some of the most fundamental and foundational like blocks to what I create. You know, it's like I go back and, and dig through these songs that are still relevant today more than I do, you know, some of the, you know, popular songs that, you know, were around at the same time. You know what I mean? So right. it was, it was huge. I didn't, I don't think you realize, I didn't, I don't think I realized it at the time, how, how influential it was just getting to have those good memories and good experiences with an incredible kind of uh, playlist going in the background. Uh, and so that, I, yeah, that that's, that's where a lot of that comes from. A, a lot of what I dig for when I'm writing comes from a lot of those older influences that, that he brought to the table. And in 2018, you had the song Hurts Like Heaven. That was sort of the, I think the first song that was sort of for your dad and written for your dad. And then I know 2020 really sparked something within you to write a lot about your dad and about your wife and about your son. And so along this journey, what has the memory of your dad meant? Have you gone through different seasons of being able to sort of overcome it and accept it and move on from it? And are those moments that you kind of slide back to why is he not here? Do you, do you go into different places and different seasons? Yeah, I think so. I think I've done a lot more grieving in this last year, you know, 17 years later or whatever, uh, than I did up until that point. You know what I mean? Like, I think seeing that, you know, having a son and, and just that whole dynamic shift of me becoming a father and then me growing up, you know, largely without one, you know, mm -hmm. in, in some of the most fundamental years of my life, I think that's what made me really want to have something to say to my son because there are so many questions I still have you know that a lot of questions that you know if you if you don't necessarily lose your father figure are given to you you know parents right. tend to offer advice and things whether or not you want them most of the time like I see like friends or whoever that like they'll be like oh my dad's this that, and the other and then I'm and I kind of sit back and go well I I, I need to get this figured out because I'm not going to get the answer unless I go looking for it. And right. so that was just kind of a thing. I always, an odd dynamic that, you know, you don't necessarily think of, but it was super inconvenient because there's like a lot of answers that, to questions that, you know, I just never got, I had to go find them. And so I just wanted there to be a lot of those answers in this project. I wanted my son to know, you know, my, my dad, you know, as best as I know him, I wanted him to know me, you know, I wanted him to listen to this project and actually just get kind of like, you know, advice about you know life and mistakes and you know he want I want him to know what where I came from what I do the things I like his, you know his his mom and me you know I I wanted that whole thing that like a crash course say something were to happen to me I want this project to be like a crash course of you know here's stuff you can live by if you want to and right. and that was just kind of like it just pulled me in that direction you don't necessarily want to dig into that in, into that nerve because it, it, it can hurt, but it just it just so happened that it was super cathartic for me towards the end of like writing this whole project, you know? Right. That's what I was going to ask. Like since 2020, 
and you started diving more into the personal side of writing. How therapeutic has that been in letting your emotions out within your writing? It's great because I think um, for me, and I can't speak for every other writer, but I think for me, you know, I've gone through different uh, seasons of writing songs that may not have meant a lot or may not have had a true story behind it, but were necessary because you have to hone a craft. I mean, songwriting is a language. You got to practice it. You got to get your reps and you got to do that and do it as much as you can. And I'm thankful for the environment that I have to get to do that. And then, but I kind of like retracted back into a place to where I go, man, I, I, I can't fill a project up and give to my son that doesn't have any substance behind it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's really what, what that whole thing's about. You know, it's, it's been, it's been big, man. Yeah. And so as far as co-writing goes, has that also allowed you to build stronger relationships with your co-writers and allowing yourself to open up more to them as well in the writing room? Yeah, I would say that it definitely has because it's like, it's funny. I, I always say like, um, it's like free therapy because it's <laughs> like, you'll sit down with someone that you've never met in your life. Sometimes they're your age. Sometimes they're younger than you. Sometimes they're 40 years older than you. And you just sit down and you go, here's the most messed up thing that's happened in my life. Or, Hey, here's the, thing. you know what I mean? It's just like, there's like, for whatever reason you sit down in this room and you just open up your heart and we go, what are we looking at here? And everybody just kind of looking at the table. They go, yeah, let's write about that. Okay, cool. Sounds good. And it's like this odd dynamic that you don't really see anywhere else in the world. I, I would compare it to like somebody with their barber. For whatever reason, right. people will tell their barber anything. If for whatever reason, I sit down in a writer's round, like in a, or if, I'm, if I'm like in a songwriting session, I'll tell them anything. Like immediately. Like the most messed up thing. <laughs> Just like, and so it feels like, those relationships like they get pretty solidified pretty quick especially if you're kind of digging in the well that we're digging in to try and get the really close to the heart songs you know what I mean right yeah and that well let's dig into that well a bit and sort of talk about your past and talk about this musical journey now the drums is something that you started on you didn't start on the guitar the drums you started on I think it was around five years old so what was it that drew you to the drums at that point uh, I think I just like banging on stuff. I was kind of a hyperactive kid. I like to break things. Yeah, I think that was part of it. And I just remember uh, always feeling like I, I wanted to like groove with music. And I just like obsessively asked my parents until they gave me a drum set. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's where it all started. It was more of just like me being a hyperactive kid that my parents were like, gosh, we got to put this energy somewhere. <laughs> so I think that's where that was. Uh, and it was just like, and I've said it many times, if you'd asked, if you'd have told me whatever before I moved here, even a year before I moved here, that I'd be doing this, it would have been just like, no, not, there's no chance. You know what I mean? When did it switch from just being happy, banging on stuff to actually, you know, it becoming the musicality of it and really getting into the music behind simply just banging? Well, I think the fact is like, I, I fell in love with the instrument because I played for many years without really, I mean, I played in churches here and there, but I wasn't like the guy that was in rock bands. Oh, okay. Like it wasn't until I was in high school that I really started, you know, working with any or collaborating with any friends or whatever. I just like love drumming. I love getting energy out. I loved like honing that craft and getting to like actually feel like I was progressing in something. And even at a young age, like it was weird that I kind of, of all the things that I didn't have any discipline in, like that I just had no desire to focus on or have any like responsibility in, I, for whatever reason, just had this constant discipline and wanting to be a better drummer, right? 
and that kind of turned into, okay, at 15, I want to learn how to play guitar because nobody's got drums at their house. I was over at my friend's house. What are we going to do? Oh, okay. I play drums. Everybody's like, well, that's cool. But I have a guitar. And so it's like, everybody's got a guitar. And so it was literally something that simple. And my cousin, he had, he played guitar and taught me some songs. And I just kind of dove in the same way. I just liked nerding out in my room and learning a song and kind of figuring out what that was, going through tabs, watching videos, doing that whole thing. And that just kind of organically turned into, you know, me playing in front of people and getting opportunities. And then it wasn't until I was in college that I actually was like, huh, it will give Nashville a try. You know? Right. And as far as learning guitar goes, tell me about Rick Hessler, because I believe he was a person who taught you the guitar off the start, right? Yeah, it's my cousin. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about him and how he influenced that journey for you off the start of learning guitar and getting into that. So I would honestly, I would give him a lot of credit for um, my musical influences too. Because for whatever reason, it seemed like he was like always coming up with some good new music that was like off the beaten path. And uh, we were hanging out every day and we just like played it in his little Ford Explorer, you know. But yeah, he he would play guitar. And like I also wanted to like jam out with him. And he had this little Yamaha electric in his closet. And he had he gotten this new acoustic for like Christmas. And he was playing. And I remember pulling that electric out. And I was like, I'm going to learn how to shred. And I was like sitting <laughs> on his floor, like just like hacking at this guitar. And I was like, dude, teach me out. Teach me a song. Teach me. A song. I was like probably 14 or 15. And what's that song? Uh, Iris or whatever it is by Goo Goo Dolls oh, or whatever yeah. that is. Yeah. That was like the first lick he ever taught me. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. And then it was like he taught me how to do tabs and that whole thing. And then we would like learn songs that had like two acoustic parts. Like we listened to a lot of Jack Johnson growing up and they had this song called it's it was just it was digging in deep. But you asked a deep question. Oh, I'm yeah. digging in deep with you. So <laughs> there was this uh, surf documentary that Jack Johnson did. Um thicker than water and then he did another one called brush fire fairy tales i think it's what no uh there was another one i forgot what the name of it was but we used to oh, like okay. listen to those soundtracks like crazy right right and one of the one of the one of the songs on it was just an instrumental that was just two acoustic guitars and one was like this lead line and one was like this rhythm thing and i would always learn the rhythm thing and he learned the lead line and we would play it oh my gosh non-stop <laughs> there's actually a video on youtube on my aunt's youtube page if you really, really want to see it yeah me with a buzz cut sitting there about 30 pounds lighter than i am right now in in my cousin's room jamming out to this thing and that's literally where it all started wow that is so funny that you asked that yes <laughs> that is so awesome and so if you gave me a good if you get if he was here right now and you gave us both acoustic guitars we would slay that oh right yeah you second. could still do it oh 100 and as 100%. far as far as the guitars, I believe there was a 1970s. Uh, I don't know how you say it. Gresh Dorado. Yeah, Gret, Gretsch Dorado. That was your dad's. Tell me about the story of that guitar. And do you still have it? Is that one that has really helped you along this journey? Dude, I love your questions, bro. I love your questions. Yes, I still have it. It's in, nice. it, I have two acoustics that I use. My Martin that I played at the Opry, that's like my super, my, my really nice guitar that uh, we bought after Kelly and I got married. Oh, okay. And, but that Gretsch is, it was this 
like beat up guitar. Well, it wasn't that beat up. I it used to sit in my room because it was my dad's guitar. And it's like this, like super like low end model. It's supposed to be a nylon string, like, like classical guitar. Oh, okay. But it, it uh, like had like all the tuners busted off. It was in bad shape. And one day it like fell and like the whole bottom, like busted out. And that oh, was right okay. when I was learning how to play acoustic and I wanted a guitar and I was like, Oh man. And like the guitar fell and like reminded me of, Oh yeah, I want to play guitar. And I took that thing and I took a bunch of wood glue and textbooks and like fixed it as good as I can. Like the whole back is still like crumbled. Like is to this day. And then I put these metal strings on it, which you're not supposed to do. It's not supposed to have metal strings on it. I did that and put some new tuners on it. I remember I was like, Oh dude, I'm a freaking guitar guru right now. <laughs> I got that guitar and I put those strings on it. And I, the, the, the same, those exact same strings are still on that guitar. And I write with it like every day, like it sits in my room. Actually, it sits in our in our son's uh, playroom, and I sit there and uh, get a lot of song ideas with it. Yeah, wow. I write with that that guitar a lot, actually. That's awesome. And does it, does that allow you to almost connect with your dad as well when you're writing because it was his guitar? Or do you not really sort of connect those two while you're playing it? I, I don't. It's not always on the forefront, but I definitely. I mean, it's definitely there. You know. Um, it's, it's more of just like feeling like home. Like that is like the most, like the most, it's not a comfortable guitar to play. You know, it's not, it's like pretty janky and, and, and like old and not something that anybody would go and buy. Right. But like, it's kind of why I like it. It's got its own personality and it's like, it's like, I'm getting, it's like, it's helping me write it because it's got its own things it can do and can't do. And I just kind of fooling around on it. And yeah, it's like, just feels very, very familiar. So yeah, maybe, maybe it is, some of that stuff of my dad, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> That's awesome. And now you mentioned your journey going from high school and then college really is where things started to take off and you dropped out of college to say, I'm going to chase this dream. Now we've talked a lot about your dad. Let's talk about your mom and the type of person she was. And when you say, I want to chase this dream. I want to move to Nashville. I have no idea where it's going to go, but I want to do this. Was she the type of person that said, okay, go do it? Or was she like, what are you dropping out of college for? What are you doing? She literally was like hundred percent behind it the whole time, which was weird because everybody in my family's got like degrees, like okay. good ones too. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like they've all got like real good degrees. And I was like, I just, I mean, it just wasn't, music I wasn't I, or school I just wasn't really focused you know as, as I mean that's my own fault that's not like a good thing but it was one of those things where it was like I kind of posed it as like hey I'm going to take a semester off and see if Nashville works you know and everybody's cool with you taking a semester off it just so happened that you know it was like six years later still hadn't gone back right thankfully some stuff has happened to where it doesn't seem like I'm just completely just messing around up here but yeah it's uh they were all good i mean i talked to everybody honestly it seemed like i was trying to get people to convince me not to go because i talked <laughs> to my pastor like my grandpa talked to my mom everybody they were like yeah go for it see what happens but i was like sick so oh. yeah I've, I've, I've only gotten encouragement from that side and how did the journey go because i believe you moved to nashville in 2016 but in 2015 you released an album these days and you launched a website for your solo music but i believe also around that time you were playing the drums 
for other people. And so in 2015, what was your journey looking like at that point? Were you focused on anything or were you just kind of throwing darts out to see where they landed? Dude, those were the first five songs I ever wrote in my life. Oh, really? That's straight up, straight up. It was like, had five songs. I'm going to go record it. I had my buddy, Ryan, Ryan Nelson, who was like, he was a big part of me learning how to write songs, stuff like that. He moved up here. We went to high school together and everything. We were buzzed, grew up and, and, and stuff like that down in Jacksonville. And he like had a friend, Spencer, um, and we went to his studio and recorded this whole thing and just kind of like put this thing together. I mean, it came out good. I mean, but it just like, I, I, I never played that. I never played a live show for that album one time. I never played any really? of those songs out live. So it was like this weird thing to where it was like, it was like, okay, we're going to go record this thing. And then it was like a buddy, Joe Portner was like, Hey, I need a band. And I was like, well, I play drums. And so like, it was just like, doing any and everything and also having like a part-time job and like doing landscaping and stuff like that. So I think it's a, it's, it's a more common, you know, story than that, than you might think when it comes to Nashville, because you get right. here and you got to find something. Cause it's like, it's, it's the place to be, but there is, you know, it's kind of your responsibility to find your lane. And so yeah. I think you kind of have to do everything you can before you see which direction kind of, you know, sticks its hand up and is like, yeah, that's the way to go. So yeah, I, I didn't have really any direction whatsoever. I was just in Nashville trying to not have to move back. <laughs> and so what did that look like when you moved to Nashville? Did you know anybody there or were you starting from the ground up and just basically doing whatever you could to try and get your name out there and get your music out there? Um, I moved in with Ryan, Ryan Nelson, who's a great artist and songwriter in town in Nashville, and uh, our friend Dobro Chris, Chris Goodzak, and we oh, okay. all went to high school together. So they had been in town a year and a half prior to me moving up, and I oh, moved okay. in with them. And so they were really like open arms about like, hey, man, these are our friends. We know these people. And they introduced me to, you know, uh, Ward Gunther, at, you know, with Whiskey Jam, and yeah. Rob Snyder with, with The Revival and stuff like that. And just a lot of that Midtown crew. And it just kind of went from there to being like, hey, man, we should write sometime to actually writing and getting more people and writing with someone else and just kind of expanding or networking um, from there. But, yeah, I did. I had I had a, a, a jumping off point because they had been here for a little bit of time. So I did get to shake hands with some some people that I'd never met. Uh, that probably would have taken me a while to, to get in touch with. So that was, that was nice. But um, yeah, it was still, it was still a lot of that uh, going to, you know, red door and tin roof until two in the morning and <laughs> hoping somebody will text you back. You know what I mean? And then 2017 was one of the big breaks that you received. You approached Muscadine bloodline and basically tried to see if there's any way of getting in with them. And they said, well, can you drive a sprinter van and can you sell merch? And if you can, we'll let you play for a couple minutes before we go on. Yes. And so talk about that moment and just the feelings within you that make you approach these people. Like, is it confidence or what is it that makes you just like, go up to whoever you can and say, can I do something? Right. Well, I think it's a matter of ignorance and confidence. I, 
I, uh, I think there's a, like a magical combination with anybody. Oh, okay. like there's like a sweet spot of when you first start doing something to where you don't know enough to talk yourself out of something. Right. And I think you should, I, and I, I believe this wholeheartedly. I think you should do as much as you can in that. You know what I mean? You, you, you kind of get your head around, of course, I'm probably going to screw up because I'm just starting this thing. If you can get your head around that and realize like, you know, I know I don't know everything, but I also know that I'm still going to go do this thing and see what happens. Why not? You know, right. But that's what that was. And they, I mean, they ended up being two of my best friends, like to this day, Gary and Charlie. Uh, but we ended up having a, the same manager for a little while, Matt Wallace, who actually manages Jelly Roll, the rapper right now. Right. And um, that was just kind of all that thing, like from Tin Roof, met some other people, Sam Crabtree, Joe Fortner, who all kind of knew each other through, you know, people that work together, acquaintances. And I ended up being like, hey, man, I don't necessarily want to drum here. You know, I, I kind of right. want to learn how to write songs. And that's where that happened. I was like seeking out a, a way in. And Matt, who was my manager at the time, was like, well, I'm managing these guys see what's going on oh, okay. and so they let me sell t-shirts and drive their sprinter van and do some opening sets um i definitely sucked at driving and selling t-shirts i mean <laughs> i was fine driver we, nobody got hurt thankfully right. but as far as like selling t-shirts you can ask them today i was probably their worst merch guy <laughs> they've ever had and i was no i was without a doubt the worst merch guy they've ever had so i think it was a clear thing that that the merch wasn't my calling so i'm glad that I got to start writing songs instead, you know? Right. And eventually on tour with them, you upgraded from having to drive their van to driving your own vehicle. And we absolutely have to talk about the Fletch Carlton because it is absolutely amazing. It was a sunlight pop-up camper. I think it was like the 70s or something. And the funniest thing I find, I was looking through your social media and during that time, outside of every venue, you would park the truck in the camper there and get a picture with it. And I just, I was looking through and you know, the first couple I start to chuckle and then I keep going and I just start to laugh because it's just great. Not only that you did that, but the amount of pride that you have in each picture for this, like, just talk about that. And as an artist driving around in this pickup truck and a pop-up camper and just being happy to be doing it. Yeah. I, I think, I, I, I hope there's a lot of cool, I mean, obviously like like the Opry was one for the books, but I think as far as like a season is concerned, I, I don't know if I'll ever experience like the pure joy that I did during that time. Right. Because it was the least amount of responsibility. I was just take. it was just me. I was running like, uh, like just paying for gas. I didn't buy a single hotel. I actually made money that tour and I was getting paid a couple hundred dollars a show. Right. <laughs> and, you know, we were driving to Connecticut and, florida and west texas and i was i was hoofing every single every single mile and um it was just a lot of fun because it was you kind of just had to make it happen it was like hey man you need to be a thousand miles from here by this time good luck <laughs> it felt like you know like the matrix or something you know what i mean like hey get there it's like have fun <laughs> right, and it was yeah. like but it was and it was just like i don't know like i just stopped somewhere and sleep for a couple hours and then it was like, well, I got a little bit of time. And so I just go see something else or do something or try different food. It was just like, I don't know. It felt like 
into the wild kind of thing because I was, you know, showering and brushing my teeth at Planet Fitness at three in the morning and sleeping <laughs> in the parking lot. And I made mistakes and, and uh, you know, I got sick a couple of times. I, you know, I, I learned from that whole situation of, you know, what to do, what not to do. Right. Um, and yeah, it was, I look back on it extremely fondly. I would suggest anybody doing that. You know what I mean? Like you can't really put a price. If you can do it, you can't really put a price on it. I spent $350 on that camper, pressure washed it and hit the road. And uh, yeah, dude, I'll, I'll never, I'll never forget those times. And I sold it. Here's another interesting part about it. I sold it to my buddy, Chad Bishop, who's also a songwriter and artist in town. Oh, okay. For, for 15 pounds of alchemy. <laughs> oh, nice. And that was it. And he used it to go on tour through Texas. Really? So the Fletch Carlton, dude, the Fletch Carlton's got a history and it's still living strong. It got rebuilt actually. Oh, so it's really? honestly doing better than it ever has. So he, who has it? Does he still have it or did he Chad pass still it on? Has it. Does he? Chad still has it. They rebuilt the top of it. They, they actually took out the sink and made it into a, a, another bench and then like actually made it to where you could functionally sleep three people. Oh, really? Right. So he toured out of his Silverado with him and two other dudes and a dog throughout <laughs> Texas. So honestly, I feel like that that thing's got its best life ahead of it, personally. You know, I actually told him I'm going to buy it back from him if I ever if if he ever decides to sell it, he needs to let me know first. That's great. And as far as the journey into a career in country music, as you move along, it becomes a business, right? And business is the focus of it, but do you have to be careful to never lose that carefree attitude that you had back then when you were touring with that? Do you have to make sure you take some of that with you to not let the business of the career drag you down a bit? I, I, yeah, I would say so. I think if I was to give any, like something I like a rule of thumb for me is like, just in that realm it's not directly on that it's just like as far as a mindset is concerned if you if moving to nashville was the biggest risk you ever take in the industry then you're that's all that's going to happen right you have to continually hold that risk-taking mindset that you know jump in over your head sink or swim kind of thing honestly in every step of your career in my opinion because it's like it's when you start making safe decisions or solely business decisions you know because if we are selling hamburgers you're going to go numbers and go how do we get this and do this and like produce this mass and this that and the other it's just numbers because it's like you have the sole product and if it was just hey we have the recording sell a bunch of it that's what a record label is for and i'm thankful for my record label and they're rock stars but when it comes to actually creating and continually like creating your your and and honing your craft you have to come from a place of like reckless abandon in a lot of ways you can you ha you can't look at it and go well this worked one time let's just do it a thousand times because it loses it loses the the heart of it i think so right. it's like even if something works and 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 there have been a few things that have seemed to work on on certain levels for me it's like you can't just go all right now let's do that a thousand times because then you just go it, it just loses the magic of whatever that first thing was so it's like it's, it's a little frustrating because then you realize everything is as hard as the thing before it, because it's not like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, I think you have to keep that, that early kind of 
ignorance that 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 wide-eyed kind of uh kind of optimism that you have at the beginning of of when you move in here i think you have to keep a little bit of that if you can the whole time and when you moved to nashville did you feel confident as a solo artist right when you moved here? Or I know, I think it was around 2017 that you started releasing singles. And so between 2017 and now, was there a moment, was there a song where you sort of felt like you were coming into your own, like, this is it. I know who I am as an artist. Man, I'm still, I'm still doing that. I'm still trying to, to really settle in. But I will say when we put out Neon, when we wrote Neon, right. that felt like something. That was where when it, the first time I went, oh, wow, okay. It's not just like running around with a blindfold on. We go, okay, I, I see a direction now. Now let's, let's start chipping away in that direction. I'd say that was the first time I kind of got a, a, a direction to go. Um, but as far as like confidence and stuff now, it's like, thankfully i think i'm i'm starting to get more and more confidence and just comfortability in singing and and writing songs right i think everybody's got their own insecurities and stuff i I, uh singing scares me and it still does every single day it's a very hard thing to do it's a very difficult instrument for me uh and, and it's something i work on a lot and so like confidence is its whole different is a whole different world you know what i mean because it's like songwriting you're gonna have good days and bad days and you and you always want to get better at it and i'm probably more comfortable in that arena than i am in a lot of other ones right um not to say that i mean i'm i have miles to go i'm still learning but as far as like confidence and capabilities is concerned it feels like i'm a little more comfortable there but as far as an artist i think i'm just starting to get to a point to where i go this is how i sing this is what i'm trying to do and the brand feels like it's actually, you know, setting in and concreting. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So on the new project, on the new EP, you have four songs that you release. So going into that project, were you very much focused on doing what you wanted to do and not looking too much externally at what others thought you should be doing? Man, I, the, the way that this uh, EP turned out was was more than I could have asked for. Um, I'm, I'm really thankful to get to do the project with Dave Cobb and the way that he does his recordings is always, it's, 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 it's timeless and it's very much, uh, organic. And I just feel like that really allowed for a lot of the authenticity of, and the true, the, the truth of these songs because authenticity it's, it's easy to throw that word around, but it's like, these songs are autobiographical and they're true stories. That's, I went in that the EP true stories. Right. So it's like these are true stories. And that and the label brought the idea of working with Cobb to me. And I was like, well, that would be that'd be great, man. Yeah, they're they're like, we we think we should give this a shot. And it just seems like a good marriage of the two concepts because his his style is so authentic and it's so raw. And these these songs are also so raw and so true. And uh it it, it just it's real exciting it's real exciting to just feel like, you know, those two, those two brands kind of intersect and, and seeing what comes out of it. And so far I, I couldn't be happier. And so what was the studio time like for you, considering that you did want this music to be authentic and it was personal to you, but obviously you want to work with your producer to sort of make it the best it can be and not just 
uh, internalize everything like this is how I want it. So let's do it this way, but taking recommendations from others. So what was that process like for you? It's, it was, it was, uh, it was really cool because, you know, you go into RCA studio a, it's got so much history and I sat down, you sit down with Dave in the, in the corner with the, with his band. And the first time he hears the song is when you're playing it. He doesn't oh, want to hear okay. any work tapes or pre-production or anything like that. He just goes, what are we recording? And you sit down and he goes, play it. And so the drummer has got a metronome. The uh, bassist has got a small little amp with his bass. Uh, the keys player is sitting there kind of making notes, taking notes. And Dave's sitting right across from me with his acoustic and he's just looking at you. And then you play it and he'll stop. Okay. Add this here, add this there. And, um, he definitely has a vision for whatever he's hearing and he's doing it like, like immediately. And right. so it really all, everything that happens as far as production ideas are concerned happen within about 30 to 45 minutes. Oh, wow. And then you just go, okay, let's go record this thing. And it was just so quick. Um, there was just, it, it was, it was a, it was a really cool experience because then it, I just remember asking him, I was like, Hey man, like I pulled him aside. He's like, all right. The first day I was like, he goes okay everybody good we changed this and, and he changed a lot and he's the producer i'm not a producer so right there's mutual respect when you go into those situations you kind of just trust that each person's craft is their craft and that's what we're here for so i was like okay man whatever you think we go and we he's, he's changed a bunch chords structure of, of like bridge this that and the other and and i was like um so uh i said what if i mess up and he goes, huh? And looks at me. Kind of, <laughs> he goes, well, if you're gonna mess up a part, just don't play it. And I was like, oh yeah, 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 cool, cool, cool. <laughs> and so I, I took that as don't mess up. Right. <laughs> so that was cool, man. And then and it was just it was cool to get to just collaborate in that way. And 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 you know his his reputation is awesome. I mean his uh you know stapleton and isbo and and sergio and, and all these artists and like uh it's, it's just those artists have always inspired me as a songwriter uh so to get to be working in that same arena is is a blessing so yeah it's been it's been super cool man so within that experience did you find yourself growing as a musician throughout that recording process have you come out on the other side a much stronger musician do you feel absolutely um, it was mainly just because it was like, Hey, this is what you do now. Like, this is, this is the, this is what we do. And I remember the first time being like, okay, I, I wasn't like we, that the, the recordings came out great. Everything came out awesome. I just remember being scared because I was like not prepared for it. So now that I knew that I go, okay, so this is kind of how, this is what's, what's, uh, what's required. And so step up to the plate. And so it just like, has given me another another uh, bullseye to shoot at as far as like honing the craft and preparedness walking into a session you know what i mean of right. what he what, what what i really want a song to sound like how i'm going to perform the song like all that stuff because it is a pretty old school style to where it's like full band and we'll get it until we get the take you know what i mean right and so that's uh it's cool to, to learn to learn in that in, in that environment and also, it helps when you end up getting some really cool songs out of it. And now Rather Be Broke is the first song that you released. It's already been released. Now, is there going to be a single that comes out with the EP as well? 
Um, so Firebird is going to be uh, a focus track on that EP. Oh, okay. uh, I mean, Rather Be Broke is still being, uh, I mean, obviously it's, it's been a huge, it, it's, it's done a lot for me and there's been a lot of attention on it, but Firebird is also going to be a focus track. Uh, it's, it's, there's just so much freedom nowadays with DSPs and, and like the way that we're releasing music mm-hmm. that it really, you're allowing consumers to let you know what song you like. So though Firebird is a focus track and rather be broke has already been a single. There's two other songs on there that just have just as much of a chance of listeners being like, we like X or whatever. And then it allows us to be able to know what to focus on and how to promote properly just to let consumers get the music that they want to hear. You know what I mean? Which has been cool. You know, it just allows you to be more uh, thorough with, right. with promoting an album, you know? That's great. Well, you deserve it. And one last thing. I just wanted to know if you and your wife have got a new couch yet. No. No? <laughs> no. I don't think we'll ever get a new couch. Uh, it's way too comfortable, man. It's like, honestly, even though it's a hand-me-down couch, it's definitely like, you know, it's like 15 years old for sure. Yeah. But it's like the one where it's like each end of it has like a recliner in it. Right. So it's like, and it's like so worn in, like the, the, like when, when our, my in-laws like got their new couch, they were kind of like reluctant that they gave us that couch because their new couch <laughs> wasn't as good and like worn in as this one. And we're right. like, nah, it's ours now. <laughs> so I think we got the, I think we ended up at the, at the, uh, in a good place with that couch. You know? Thank you once again so much for listening and thank you to Jordan for stopping by and sharing his story. Be sure to check out his new EP, True Stories, wherever you stream your music. Please also be sure to check out our website, countrymusicmademe.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes and you can also sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content straight to your inbox. Just visit countrymusicmademe.com and hit that subscribe button. Thanks once again so much for joining us and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me.